Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Ashwarya, your host for this episode. And I'm Aryan. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe for amazing exclusive features like merch, awesome extra episodes, early access episodes, video calls with us and more. To help the podcast out and to avail these benefits, go to www.patreon.com/desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. The case that we have for you today is as much about the crime as it is about what happened following the crime. It's about death as much as it is about life. It's about morality and ethics and the society we seek to create as much as it's about punishment and sentences and justice. A case that will come to be discussed for generations now in every Indian class on the law. This is the story of a 25-year-old nurse just seeking to make a difference, just seeking to help those in need and live a normal happy life. And then, on the night of the 27th of November 1973, the actions of one man changed this woman's life forever and pushed her into a nightmare that lasted 42 years. This is the story of a case that moved India and moved the world. This is the story of Aruna Shanbag. So some really big news right off the bat before the episode starts this is something me and Ashwara have been looking forward to probably since we started the podcast started the podcast um, yeah <laughs> we have our youtube channel launching now the desi crime podcast youtube channel already has one video on it but when we say we are please launching our <laughs> yeah ignore that video please thank you um but the videos that are about to come from the 5th of october from 5 pm ist onwards is when we are dropping the first video it is i mean it's it's my dream come true it's amazing i hope you guys like it but ashura what 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 do you say for a youtube channel hit the like subscribe i, I don't know go subscribe yeah just go subscribe go check the channel out wait for october 5th turn your notifications on and just be ready to listen to us in a completely different really cool new format we really hope yeah. you guys like it we're so excited to share this with you okay so with that out of the way um Ashwara your setup makes me think this is a really big case but Aruna Shanbag is a name I have never heard and I mean I fault myself and my lack of reading for that but I'm sure that resonates with some listeners it's a case that I've never ever heard about so who is Aruna Shanbag and where exactly are you taking us to in 1973 India Right when you said you don't know about this case at all it came as a slight surprise to me I've kind of read of this case since i was maybe in the 7th grade but it comes from you know a curiosity towards the indian legal system and i'm sure a lot of listeners resonate with you on that so that just makes me more excited to bring this case to the forefront and tell you all this story 
And Aran, this case comes in a row of very unfortunate cases about innocent women that I've covered. From Ruchika Gerotra to Khyati Shreshtha, my heart goes out to these girls. They all exemplify a unique set of problems women deal with, regardless of class and wealth. And it's always hard to cover these cases because it could have been any of us in their place. And there are thousands of women in some part of the world currently experiencing such a crime as you listen to this 30-minute episode. For this episode today, I'm taking you to the small rural village of Haldipur in Karnataka. Now, when I say small, I mean really small. This village has a population of 10,000 people, which by Indian standards is the size of an apartment complex. It was in this tiny Indian village that Aruna Shanbag was born in the year 1948, a year after India gained independence. And like a lot of our stories, she was born to a huge family with six brothers and three sisters, of whom she was the eighth oldest. It's a recurring theme now. I think we need to look for nuclear families at this point. Absolutely. And Aran, the thought of being a younger sister to lots of older brothers is actually really adorable to me. It always has been. And Aruna was living exactly that life. And she was making her family very proud. She was the only member of her family to ever graduate the 12th grade, making her not only the most educated and qualified person in the family, but also in her village. But she had bigger aims for her life that Haldipur simply wouldn't be able to fulfill. She needed to leave, make a life for herself somewhere else, be her own independent person in a city of opportunities. And what screams city of opportunities like Mumbai. That is where Aruna moved. By the time she had graduated from the 12th grade, her eldest sister Shanta had gotten married and moved to Mumbai, where she was living now with her husband in the BMC quarters in Worli. So Aruna wasn't going to be completely alone in this huge city. She would have family and support. And so she moved to Mumbai, started living with her sister, studied for her nursing certification exams, passed with flying colours and began work at the King Edward Memorial Hospital in Mumbai as a junior nurse on the 15th of February 1966. Beginning at the hospital, she joined the neurosurgery division in just three years when it takes up to a decade of work to join such a technical department at a renowned hospital. For their most advanced and complicated surgeries, the doctors always had one name on their mind, Aruna. And she never denied her duty coming to the hospital in the early hours of the morning or sleepy hours of the night. She was always ready to help. Eventually, though, Aruna chose to move to the dog surgery division where she was in charge of helping maintain the dogs that the hospital used for medical experiments. Now, I don't know what the legality of using dogs in medical experiments in a hospital is anymore, but this was the 1960s and the 1970s, so I guess that makes sense. (laughs) But life was really looking up for Aruna. She had great, meaningful work. She was independent, yet she had family around. She was regularly praised by her colleagues for her work ethic and by her patients for her sense of care and respect. And life was only going to get better for Aruna when she was going to... Surprise, surprise, fall madly in love. She was going to fall madly in love with a doctor at the hospital, Dr. Pratap Desai. And he was going to fall madly in love with her too. He was a young doctor right out of med school and was a student completing his residency at the same hospital as Aruna. 
By 1973, Dr. Desai had completed his residency and began working at the hospital as a senior registrar. And by that same time that year, Aruna and Dr. Desai's relationship had reached its peak. The two were deeply in love. They had decided they were going to get married. They had started saving money to buy a house for themselves where they would begin a new life. And for once, everything seemed perfect. Until the morning of the 28th of November, 1973, when Dr. Desai was asked to come to the hospital immediately. As he would walk through the doors of one specific room in the hospital, his life would come crashing down in front of his eyes. On a bed in his own hospital lay the woman he was in love with, but she looked nothing like herself. I could not believe my eyes when I saw her. Aruna, who always had a radiant smile on her face, was lying on the bed, unable to recognize anyone. Being a doctor, I immediately knew what her condition was. A lack of oxygen supply to her brain had left her in a vegetative state, unable to move, talk or see. Her cervical cord was shattered, her brain stem was damaged. She was completely blind because the occipital lobe in her brain was damaged. She was brain dead. Her bones would soon start atrophying or wasting away and her muscles would soon start eroding. The worst part of all of this was that one of the only parts of her brain that remained intact was the part responsible for her perception of pain. Wow. She was alive. Her heart was beating, but on the outside there seemed to be very little sign of life left in her. Every doctor in the hospital that saw her that day including her to be husband knew for certain that there was no way of bringing her back science medicine and technology was simply not advanced enough to give her a normal life again Aruna as the world knew her was effectively dead within the span of minutes but Dr Desai had met Aruna just a day before What had happened in a 24 hour time span that had done this to just a 25 year old woman What had happened on the 27th of November 1973? Who had done this to her and why? On the evening of the 27th of November, Aruna was working in the hospital when ward boy Sohanlal Bharta Valmiki went to ask her for leave. Sohanlal's wife's mother was very ill back in his village. His wife wanted to go see her mother and he wanted to go see his mother-in-law with her. and Aruna was the person he needed to ask she was supposed to approve his leave application but Sohanlal knew she was going to give him trouble whether or not you choose to believe what i'm about to tell you now is up to you because there's no verification of this story this is Sohanlal's version he knew Aruna would give him trouble that night because Aruna always gave him trouble she had made his time at the hospital insufferable She knew he was terrified of dogs but she always assigned the job of cleaning the dog cages or feeding the dogs to him even when there were other ward boys available to do the job. Quote, I told the doctors in charge and my supervisor to transfer me. I complained about her but no one listened. Who listens to a jamadar or a sweeper? he said. When he went to her that night to ask for leave, she outright denied his request. She said if he took the leave she would write a written complaint against him saying he never finished his work on time and stole dog food from the hospital and yet wanted to go on leave. He said he hadn't stolen any food he was afraid of the dogs and why would he steal something he couldn't even use for himself. 
Sohanlal claims he had seen Aruna play cards with other ward boys and nurses during his duty hours, so he threatened her right back. He told her if she filed a complaint against him, he would file a complaint against her for not doing her work properly. The moment he threatened her, a fight broke out between the two, a physical fight while the two were alone in the hospital basement late at night. Aruna apparently used some castiest slur against Sohanlal prompting him to slap her on the face. When Aruna didn't back down, Sohanlal grew angrier and angrier and in a fit of rage, picked up a metal dog collar, strapped it around Aruna's neck, choked her and raped her in the basement that night. When he was done raping her, he robbed her of her jewellery that she was wearing and left her in that basement unclothed, ran out of the hospital and went into hiding. Aruna lay in the hospital basement in that state for 11 hours in a pool of her own blood and vomit before the worker who came to clean the hospital the next morning found her at 7.45am and alerted other people around. 11 hours had passed to the rape. Aruna's condition was too far gone. With every passing minute since the rape, her odds of ever gaining her life back kept reducing, but 11 hours was definitely too late. There was no coming back now. Aruna's family, her sister that she stayed with, only found out about the incident when one of Aruna's friends came running into their house, frantic and panting, saying Aruna wasn't feeling well, asking them to come to the hospital to see her at once. Mangla, Aruna's sister's daughter that she lived with, said, quote, I still remember the day. It was 10 a.m. and we had prepared idlis for breakfast as Aruna liked them. Only after reaching the hospital did we find out about the actual incident, end quote. Ashwarya, it is small details like the small details like idlis and dosas on the day Aruna <laughs> right was in the hospital that stand out more than anything in these cases. Like Joe Chinkwe's case where it was the tea that the mother and yep. father brewed that day. It's small details like these which we for granted in our day-to-day lives, you know, don't give a crap about, which in these pivotal moments stand out. And I'm sure it stood out to their family. But I have a question, uh, something our listeners must be wondering too. Was there any scope of reviving... Aruna, to whatever extent, had she been found, say, three hours or four hours or five hours instead of 11 hours after being raped? Aran, that's a question that I wondered when I was researching for this case as well. And there is a time period before which someone can be classified as being in a permanently vegetative state. Hmm. And before that time period, there is still hope that perhaps something can be done to save them. However, that time for Aruna was never going to come. She was eventually going to be classified as someone in a permanently vegetative state. And you're right about the idlis and the small details like that. You know, we can give you the overarching theme of a crime and the context of it. But it's what that day was like for the people involved in this crime that we possibly can most times never give you. And it's those details that stick to the people involved. But Aryan, it was now supposed to be the hospital's responsibility to file a rape and molestation case against their own worker. But remember, this was the 1970s. It's perhaps hard for any of us to imagine, but at the time, it was the preferred option to not report a rape case so that the woman and her family don't face the stigma attached with it. It would have brought Aruna 
dishonor it would have brought her family shame they would all be socially ostracized and would never live normal lives again and so the hospital thought they were doing aruna a huge favor when instead of filing a case against sohanlal for rape molestation or unnatural sexual offense they filed a case against him for assault and robbery <laughs> Now to put this into context the punishment for unnatural sexual offenses under the Indian penal code is life imprisonment and the punishment for assault and robbery is 7 years each both served at the same time so not 14 years in total just 7 years in total I will also add from whatever little knowledge I have of the Indian legal system that the 19 sort of 1973 Indian legal uh, code within the um, objectionable sexual offenses was very different from what that statute looks now because that included you know homosexual sex and they were sort of viewed as the same as rape so there are a lot of things that have to be kept in mind while thinking of unnatural sex as defined by Indian legal code in 1973 absolutely. versus now absolutely no it was a completely different time period and i can totally see how the hospital thought they were acting in aruna's best interest But now in hindsight it seems like a denial of justice. Of course. So Sohanlal was caught for assault and robbery and he did go to jail for those crimes but just for 7 years and he was released in 1980 all while Aruna still lay on the same hospital bed where she was being bathed by other nurses and force fed her every meal. So Ashura tell me if i get this right it- So Aruna was admitted into the hospital as a patient in 1973, correct? Correct. Sonlal was released in 1980. Yes. So that is 7 years in which Aruna was in a hospital in a vegetative comatosed unconscious state. That is correct. Yes. And if you think 7 years is bad enough, this case only gets worse. But before we get to what happened to Aruna, what was going to happen to Sonlal? He got out of prison in 1980 and then he just vanished. Some Reddit and Quora users would occasionally post asking where he went. Had he died? Had he changed his name and grown a beard but was still living in the same city, walking the same streets and living a normal life? A journalist or human rights activist here and there such as Pinky Virani would make attempts to find him but nothing would come of it. The hospital had no picture of him in their records. Nobody knew where this man had gone. Insane. And slowly as always happens the country forgot about him. Yeah. For Arunado nobody could ever know what life felt like to her in that state. Her love Dr. Desai quit his job at the hospital a year after the rape but visited Aruna regularly for 3 years after that night talking to her taking care of her sitting by her quote every time i would try to speak to her but her condition never improved and it became really painful to see her like that end quote eventually though Dr. Desai got busy with his own life his own work By 1977 he had fallen in love again with a different woman gotten married and started a new life but i never missed a single story written about aruna he told the mumbai mirror after the attack the nurses in mumbai rose up in rebellion multiple times initially they demanded a change in working conditions for nurses across the city and then 
they protested in huge numbers again in the 1980s when the municipal corporation of greater mumbai tried to move aruna out of the king edward hospital because they claimed that she had been unduly using up a bed for the last 7 years that could have gone to other patients it was a waste of hospital resources to try and keep her there they said but the nurses succeeded and aruna continued to occupy the hospital bed for 43 years after the attack. no but these 43 years weren't simple they divided the country over a fundamental question what is life what is a happy and fulfilling life was aruna living a happy and fulfilling life she was in pain unable to fully perceive the world around her being force fed every meal washed and cleaned by other people unable to express any want need or desire her family had stopped visiting after decades of trying to take care of her Her sister and her sister's children had tried their best for a while but eventually moved on with all their lives. Aruna's sister's son had come forward to say, "I was just 12 years old then and Aruna used to stay with us when she had come to the city. I remember going out with her to gardens and parks on holidays." One of her sister's daughters, who was about the same age as Aruna by the way, funnily, said, "We did everything. We took care of her." We were of the same age as her and I remember going to the hospital with tiffin boxes. We cleaned her up, washed her and did everything possible till the time we could. But decades later, all of Aruna's sister's kids had moved to different parts of the country. She was classified to be in a permanent vegetative state, meaning for the rest of her life, she would only experience partial arousal and not true awareness like we all do. This is where human rights activists stepped in to claim that Aruna had the right to live with dignity and if she couldn't do that anymore she had the right to die with dignity to not be kept alive just for the sake of other people You remember Pinky Virani the activist who tried to find where Sohanlal went but wasn't successful She became the face of the fight to have passive euthanasia laws passed in India Just to explain to our listeners what this means Euthanasia is the process of ending life but for the purpose of ending pain and suffering. You're not killing someone to cause them harm, you're killing them to prevent them from suffering. Active euthanasia is giving someone a drug to kill them and passive euthanasia is simply taking away the drugs and the machines that keep them alive. Passive euthanasia is what Pinky Virani wanted for Aruna. to have the hospital take away her life support machines and her ventilator and her medications to let her die in peace and to draw a distinction euthanasia operates in two ways one is where you kill someone who is in a comatose state such as aruna's but the other kind of euthanasia is where it's voluntary so in that case it's not killing somebody it's suicide it's killing yourself which too is a legitimate form of euthanasia recognized in several countries uh, around the world Yes so if a patient who knows they are terminally ill writes in their will that if they're ever in like a permanently vegetative state they would like to have their life taken away or if they're in the state to make that decision when they are really sick and have no yep. chance of recovery they can make that choice for themselves yeah. that is what Pinky Virani wanted and so she approached the Supreme Court of India to demand a change in laws only she can best explain why she did what she did quote I approached the Supreme Court not with passive euthanasia in my head but with Aruna Shanbagh in my heart. 
on june 1st 2011 aruna turned 63 years old more than half her life 37 years had been spent semi comatose and incurable since 1973 practically brain dead due to her brain stem injury caused by strangulation with a dog chain while being sodomized cortically blind unable to speak or walk locked in a room where she has felt no direct sunshine for over 3 and a half decades a feeding pipe running from her nose directly to her stomach into which mush is poured at periodic intervals because of this force feeding she is prone to diarrhea yet a catheter is not used never mind adult diapers her body expels other waste matter like growing fingernails She moans when they forcefully unclench her fingers to cut her nails which grow into her palms. A brittle skeleton with skin stretched over it, she is catatonic. She lies unseeing with her eyes wide open for hours on end. There are cobwebs hanging in her room above her head. When she contracted a gum infection, her teeth couldn't be brushed because of the pain and no dentist was called. Her teeth had started rotting and falling off on her own bed. She cannot think for herself. What's left of her brain's wiring is reduced to its most primal, not unlike that of a deeply wounded, very old house pet who continues to mark its territory but responds with overgratitude when it registers affection. When she registers intense pain, it's possible that it's physiological or it could be the last living memory that is locked within her, the rage of the rape. Is this a life of dignity? End quote. How brilliantly said. How I think absolutely that's wonderfully brilliantly written. said. I was on the fence about what I felt about euthanasia before I read her description of why she fought for this, why she fought for these legal changes and why she fought for Aruna. She wrote it brilliantly. I I know this is not a debate, but uh, what are your opinions on euthanasia, Shweta? I don't think euthanasia was ever a question that I spent much time pondering over before I came across this case. And for this specific situation, and I'm sure there are so many people who are in the state that Aruna is in, where they're in so much pain, all they can register for the most part is pain, when they have still a long life left ahead of them but no chance of recovery. I can totally understand and see a very legitimate argument being made for the fact that there is more dignity in them being able to die in peace than being kept alive just because the people that are alive around them have some emotional attachment to them being alive. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think now that you put I, me on the spot? I think uh, I've, I've thought about the other kind of euthanasia which is the in the situation where somebody has the capacity to make a choice for themselves so say a terminally sure. term, a patient with terminal cancer who is in uh, excruciating pain um, their case makes sense to me um, because they have the free will to choose um, and I am very fundamentally libertarian in that sense that people should be able to choose for themselves um, sure. in a case like this um it, it is complicated right because i you, agree no it's complicated yeah because you said like it makes sense when the comatose patient has no chance of recovery but no chance is so subjective with science changing all the time with 100%. miracle cases happening every now and then um so yeah it it is um it's a it's a tough philosophical dilemma it's a tough philosophical question especially when she can't give her consent to whether right, or not right, she wants right. to take her own life 
and right. that choice is left to either someone like Pinky Virani or the nurses in the hospital and it's a battle between these two groups so it's definitely a complicated yep. case uh, and a complicated question i don't think i have the answer to that and then the supreme court in 2011 on a special bench led by chief justice of the time kg balakrishnan lay down some loose legal guidelines for passive euthanasia for india these guidelines became the law in india till the parliament didn't pass legislation in these guidelines a decision has to be taken to discontinue life support either by the parents the spouse close relatives or in their absence by a person acting as a next friend in aruna's situation though the decision to keep her alive or not fell at the hands of the nurses who had spent the last 3 and a half decades taking care of her and they said they were not going to let her die so despite wow. whatever pinky virani believed and whatever ruling the court had generated aruna was going to continue to live in that state whether that's good or bad you decide after the supreme court's decision that the nurses get to decide the staff at the hospital that had spent years taking care of her distributed sweets and cut a cake to celebrate what they called aruna's rebirth a senior nurse at the hospital came forward to say we have to tend to her just like a small child at home she only keeps aging like any of us she does not create any problems for us we take turns looking after her and we love to care for her how can anybody think of taking her life pinky virani was obviously not happy with this decision but she found a silver lining in her struggle to bring aruna justice she said quote because of this woman who has never received justice no other person in a similar position will have to suffer for more than 3 and a half decades in 2014 a three judge bench took back the 2011 ruling on euthanasia calling it inconsistent and referred the matter to a different bench of judges by the year 2015 after 42 years of laying on a bed in the same hospital she was raped in at the age of 67 aruna contracted pneumonia she was moved to the icu of the king edward hospital and put on a ventilator a day later on the 18th of may 2015 she died whatever life was left in her was now gone too and then 3 years after her death in the year 2018 the supreme court of india passed a historic judgment legalizing passive euthanasia becoming one of only 7 countries in the world and the only asian country which recognizes some kind of euthanasia as legal the law places the power of choice in the hands of the individual over the government medical or religious control which sees all suffering as destiny this is perhaps one of the most progressive judgments um in philosophy uh, forget poli- yep. politics uh, you know forget the daily news that we watch philosophically speaking this is such a progressive um fundamentally liberal stance which is why I i'm agree. for which is why i have sort of euthanasia for people who have the free will to make that chance the government shouldn't or the religious body shouldn't um right it kind of blows my mind that india is the only country in asia to do so yes yes we are and i think this was an incredible judgment whether or not it apply to aruna's case is a separate matter but the fact that this law was right. formalized and made legislation and the supreme court had a stance on the matter and this stance on the matter is actually incredible to me but this story is not over yet it's not over till we ask one key question 
There were two ways in which Aruna needed to be brought justice. One was the debate over euthanasia and the other was making sure her rapist received the right punishment for his hmm. crime. But where was Sohanlal? Many including Pinky Virani believed he was dead. Some believed he had contracted AIDS or tuberculosis and passed away. Others believed he had killed himself. Some believed he lived in Mumbai. Then the year Aruna died a Mumbai based Marathi daily newspaper and its journalist Dyanesh Chavan went on a hunt to locate the man and they found him wow they found him alive in the parpa village of uttar pradesh where he was living with his wife two sons a daughter and three grandchildren if you want him to be living a happy life right now so that you can hate him even more that's not where this is going his life had been anything but happy or normal since the night in the hospital basement all of these years he'd been living in his ancestral home and then his father-in-law's house 60 kilometers from ghaziabad calling the woman he raped aruna didi ji or sister aruna he said i have deep regret i seek forgiveness from her and from god when the newspaper met with him They found him wearing a Rudraksh mala and carrying a photo of his guru in his wallet according to the Hindustan Times. He didn't even know Aruna had died when the journalists came looking for him. They were the ones that told him of her death. He didn't know because the one TV in his house was broken, the village had no electricity for a week, and the family didn't have the time to read the newspaper. At 66 years old, he says I leave home at 6 a.m. for work and return by 8 p.m. I get 261 rupees a day. I have to cycle 25 kilometers to work. Where is the time to read the newspaper? His sons work as laborers just like him, earning between 200 and 300 rupees a day. When he was interviewed, his wife was in Pune attending a wedding. He knew of the rumors that people believed that he had died of a deadly disease. His sons would read him the online articles sometimes. My son would tell us these things and my wife would cry. I wish I had died. My sons would have taken care of her. I'm tired of the memories. I want to die now. My son told me the newspapers wrote this that I tried to kill her. I could barely sleep for 10 years after the incident. How was it possible for anyone to go back to the hospital after such a thing? I left Mumbai. Why would I go back to the hospital to see her? Everything happened in a fit of rage. There was a fight, it was dark and I panicked. We both hit each other. I may have pulled the ornaments they said I stole during the scuffle. But you guys, he says he didn't rape her. There was no rape. They beat me up in the police station and kept saying it was rape. I did not rape her. It must have been someone else. but he also claims that he has not much memory of the entire incident he doesn't even remember the date it all happened the date that changed his life forever destroyed his life forever and the date that destroyed someone else's life forever but he says he has turned his life around since he was released from prison he has tried to become a better man i gave up non vegetarian food bad habits like smoking beeries and drinking I had a daughter before I was sentenced and she died while I was in jail. She died because I made a mistake. For many years after my release, I didn't touch my wife. A son was born 14 years after I left jail. 
This son, Kishan, also spoke to the journalists. He says he remembers the day he told his father about the mercy-killing plea made by Pinky Virani. My father prays twice a day, but that day after I told him, he prayed five, six times. I told him what the papers said, that her family was gone, that she had been living in the hospital. He was agitated and trembling. When the Supreme Court rejected the plea, he became stable again. He doesn't talk about the case and we don't feel comfortable asking him. In our culture, you cannot ask your father what he did to a woman. But my uncles have told me so many times how he destroyed our lives. His younger son Ravindra told the reporters that his mother told him about Aruna when he was just 12. She told me I should forgive my father, that the papers were exaggerating his crime. She said my brother was angry with my father, but I should love him because he made a mistake. But he never sent me to school. I can't even write my name. How do I forgive him? This is the problem with criminals and human nature in general. The more you read of this man's life, the harder it is to hate him and that's uncomfortable. We want to hate some people and love others. We want to have clear lines drawn between bad people and good people, between the evil and the saints. But the more you talk to people, the more you try to understand their lives, the more you realize these lines are incredibly hard to draw. Should Sohamnal have received a harsher sentence? Absolutely. But now, he's a broken man in his 70s, wanting to die, praying six times a day, living in a village with no electricity and working for 200 rupees a day. This was a case of many deep questions that require deep answers. What does it mean to be alive? Can there be more dignity in death than in life? When is it time to forgive? When has someone paid for their crime? I don't think I've given you any concrete answers to these questions, but my aim was never to give you answers. My aim was to give you the questions. Questions that will hopefully keep you up at night till we bring you the next case that won't let you sleep.